Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our third business and human rights podcast. Uh, so far, we've taken you through the UNGPs and drilled down into the nuances of conducting human rights due diligences, impact assessments, policy reviews, and the like. Today, we are going to look back over our practical experiences, which we've gained over the past year, and more importantly, trends which we have seen become a focus area across the continent. Paula Ann, business and human rights is firmly in the spotlight. We started 2023 in the DRC, conducting a full-blown human rights due diligence for a mining company over there. We have meandered through an array of instructions, including desktop and HR policy reviews, human rights impact assessments for major telecoms companies with a footprint across Africa. We've done opinions for refiners pertaining to duties of care and how that principle is evolving internationally. What are some of the focus and risk areas that our clients have been looking at from a human rights perspective? Yeah, Pooja, it's been very interesting to see the various lenses and angles from which clients are looking into and being approached to consider human rights and business and human rights practices. These have included human rights due diligence at the outset. So how do you even start? How do you conduct a human rights due diligence and how you undertake that full blown and comprehensive human rights impact assessment? Um, there's also a lens of governance and looking at the different policies that you have within the organization that govern human rights impacts and aspects and whether those policies are adequate. Um, so essentially taking on those policies like your grievance mechanisms, stakeholder engagement practices, security management policies, and considering whether they adequately cover human rights considerations as against legal requirements, as well as international frameworks and best practices in the market. Clients are also looking at their actual systems and controls internally and whether their implementation of these policies are effective in actually achieving the human rights objectives and purposes that those policies set. And then we're also looking at, or corporates themselves are looking at how the duties of care imposed on corporate organizations are evolving from a human rights perspective and how human rights risk and impact can be presented or prevented as well through different business relationships. So like you mentioned, the refiner relationship, suppliers and off-takers, funders as against the recipients of financing, those different business relationships evidence business and human rights risks very differently. And with all this experience, it's, it's safe to say that we've already noticed then certain trends emerging and especially across Africa as the jurisdiction in which we operate. Um, so I suppose a question coming back to you then within the context of these different practice areas that we've seen, what are some of the key trends that we've, um, we've identified recently from a corporate and business and human rights perspective? Yeah, thanks, Paula. You know, there really has been an awakening across the continent in terms of business and human rights. Some countries are far ahead on their business and human rights integration and implementation journeys, but it is widely positive to see that various jurisdictions across Africa have taken or are taking steps to incorporate the UNGPs into their uh, legislative and regulatory schemes. 
For example, Kenya. Kenya is already miles ahead in developing national action plan to incorporate the UNGPs um, into Kenya's domestic legislative framework. And I think this was done by Kenya, um, the development of the national action plan in around 2019. And Kenya was closely followed by Uganda. Ghana, Mozambique, Nigeria, Senegal, for example, are developing or conducting national baseline assessments, which is a precursor to the national um, action plan. And NAPs or national action plans, as we call them, are very important because they pave the way for increased policy and regulatory focus by states. So that's the first thing we've seen from a trends perspective. From a more practical perspective, businesses are becoming acutely aware that business and human rights principles are no longer a nice to have. Slowly but surely, we are seeing businesses, you know, are being required to ensure that they are respecting human rights in the jurisdictions in which they operate. So um, they are taking steps to conduct human rights due diligences, human rights impact assessments, drafting policies which underscore their commitment to business um, and human rights. And that really has been positive uh, to see. Um, another big area that we've seen is, for example, uh, multiple major international financiers insisting on contractual undertakings in financing agreements for parties to conduct human rights due diligences on an ongoing basis, especially if these businesses are operating in high-risk jurisdictions, um, particularly in Africa. We've also seen um, companies considering what their duties of care are and how these corporate duties of care are evolving. And I think this really does come off the back of many factors. One of the major ones being the current litigation in the United Kingdom, where, for example, the, the London Bullion Market Association is being taken to court for certifying gold as responsibly sourced, when in fact that gold was procured from an area and an operation widely reported as committing serious human rights violations. We've also seen multiple senior counsel legal opinions issued across the globe on climate change considerations needing to be part of the corporate decision-making process to discharge duties of care. So companies really are sitting up and asking the question, can we be held responsible for claims relating to loss or damage as a result of human rights violations occurring, not necessarily in their operations, but also um, within their value chains? Um, so that is a big theme that's come across uh, and coming out of Africa. The other big space is the telecom space. That space is bursting with innovation and and with innovation comes heightened focus on the impact that businesses are having on things like privacy rights, rights of children in the context of digital and social media, artificial intelligence, access to the internet as part of the right to access to information. And we've recently actually, um, quite topical, um, seen a huge uproar that major tech companies like Meta and others are facing as a result of content that is flighted on those platforms around the conflict, for example, between Israel and Palestine. So disinformation is another huge topic. And the question that arises there is how can the platform provider be held liable and accountable for the information circulated the world over on, on their platforms? So there is a need to understand where multiple human rights may intersect and how the severity of adverse consequences is likely to increase as a result, um, severity being the yardstick in business and human rights um, assessment methodology as opposed to traditional corporate probability theory. One interesting point uh, further was that in July 2023, 
the UN Special Rapporteur on Toxins and Human Rights, for example, visited South Africa to examine the human rights situation related to the environmental management and disposal of hazardous substances um, and waste, and warned that South Africa faces the crude legacy of pre-1994 environmental racism with the toxic impact of pervasive air and water pollution continuing to disproportionately affect poor and marginalized communities. So the role and commitment of civil society organizations in that context, academics and local communities in defending human rights um, and the environment was really lauded as inspiring, whilst the challenges in overcoming the legacy of environmental racism in South Africa were described as enormous and compounded by structural inequality, uh, widespread poverty, unemployment, corruption, and a severe energy crisis, uh, and new environmental threats such as uh, the climate emergency. So, so that from a trends analysis, there really is a lot going on in the business and human rights universe. And a lot pulling corporates back and forth in terms of trying to understand how to operate in, in today's new age um, geopolitical environment, supposedly. Um, so I think Puja, perhaps with all that in mind and, and everything that we've been exposed to and considered for and with our clients over the last year, what was for you the highlight in 2023? A good question, Paula, because given the you know the enormity of the of the practical um, experience that we had in 2023, I think one that stands out really is Weber Wenzel becoming the first Africa-based law firm to become a member of the BHRLA, which is the Business and Human Rights Lawyers Association, and that was an extreme honor and a privilege to be leading the charge in the global south. Weber Wenzel hosted a launch event in October and we had guests from around the world, including the BHRLA, and this is a shout out to Doug Castle, who was with us, um, and the Vaughan Center and many, many influential people from the Vaughan Center. And Paula, you were there with me on the, you know, involved in the very lively and fruitful discussions, if I recall, that we had. What were the key takeaways for you from that event? So many, but I think in the space of the, the short 45 minute session that we had, we heard some very interesting views and insights from, from the legal fraternity, from the academic side of things, as well as from corporates themselves. Um, and I think perhaps one of the key take homes to start off with was um, the fact that your corporate operational and profit stimulating imperatives are not incongruent with the responsibility to respect human rights. So these counterbalancing imperatives are actually inextricably intertwined and are overlaid by that overarching aim to create a sustainable, successful, resilient and highly profitable business enterprise whilst improving the lives of those who are impacted likely and potentially by your business operations. Um, I think another very key point that was driven home through these discussions was the fact that the context in which businesses operate is vital. You know, in Africa, we sit in a place where much of the raw materials, mineral resources and labor forces are sitting. And these are the inputs into those finished products which are marketed elsewhere in developed economies. But we're also sitting on a continent where repressive regimes and weak legal systems actually contribute to these increased reports of human rights violations that we're seeing. And so this interplay, the regional and context-specific nuances of, of the locations in which businesses operate must be front of mind when considering business and human rights practices and requirements. 
as is the role and responsibilities of governments on the one hand and corporate citizens on the other. Um, this unique push and pull needs to be understood and contextualized through these region-specific nuances. I think from our perspective, another key take-home was that lawyers do in fact play an integral role in advising corporate clients on business and human rights principles and requirements, particularly where human rights issues are most relevant in the value chains of corporates and not just their operational footprint and how corporates need to address these throughout that broadened scope. We're seeing a flurry of proposed legislation coming out of the EU and the UK. We're seeing existing legislation in EU and Australian markets, such as around modern slavery and uh, supply chain due diligence. And so understanding the import of international legislation, both existing and proposed, and what that means for corporate clients with footprints in Africa is becoming a key area of focus um, within sort of this extraterritorial application of law that we now see ourselves in. And similarly, on the litigation side of things, you know, lawyers track lit litigation the world over in terms of identifying trends in, in terms of risk disputes and where, where those kinds of avenues are are evolving and developing from a corporate perspective. I think another role that we play and another key take home from our sessions and engagements in October last year was understanding business and human rights methodology as it applies to uh, business and corporate decision-making and risk and impact assessments. This idea of severity is key to business and human rights practice as opposed to probability when you're looking at where the impacts might materialize into risks. And so understanding through some of your, your points earlier on intersection and how different human rights intersect, that creates an almost an increased level of severity when, when it relates to the consequences that human rights violations might portray. And that then involves and informs how corporates need to prioritize their responses and mitigation measures. Again, insights from the extractive industry in Africa is highlighted, as you pointed out, the UN Special Rapporteur's mission to and ciphers it to South Africa that human rights violations have higher risks of exposure when you're intersecting them. For example, with environmental degradation and, and police brutality in the mining sector of Africa. And in that lens, and as you mentioned earlier, obviously a key takeaway again, is, is this corporate duty of care and how our corporate duty of care obligations and responsibilities are evolving across the world. Those senior council legal opinions that you mentioned bringing climate change to the fore of the boardroom um, invariably mean that business and human rights needs to be on the board agenda as well. Again, within the lens of this intersectionality view, um, we have international human rights to an environment that is safe and clean and how those intersect means that climate change considerations invariably mean human rights considerations need to be discussed. And I think what was what is important to take home for all corporates in the room following that discussion was practically the tools and frameworks are there. They have been established and they are evolving rapidly, both at the international and industry levels. These include not only the UNGPs themselves, but various reference guides that underpin the UNGPs and how businesses should be working with and implementing internally the guiding principles 
Um, we have also seen OECD due diligence guidance, for example, on responsible supply chains of minerals from conflict-affected and high-risk areas specifically. So there are various toolkits, frameworks, online platforms um, that should become common parlance within business operations. And again, lawyers play a key and central role in navigating these frameworks and advising corporates um, and, and guiding them in the space on which tools and frameworks might be most applicable and or appropriate to use within the organization. And I think similarly, tracking through that, that line of thought then is understanding how corporate risk assessment is, un is conducted within the organization. Again, there needs to be an adaptation when looking at business and human rights practice. Um, traditional corporate uh, risk assessment methodology, again, looks at probabilities of risks and impacts materializing. And those look at risks to business. Business and human rights methodology, however, requires a lens of risk to people to be adopted. And again, that probability lens then becomes a severity lens. And so understanding not only how BHR methodology is applied, but also how it can be adapted to existing corporate rights assessment methodologies is a key role that we have seen as playing um, in advising clients in this space. Um, you know, consultation and engagement with rights holders then becomes crucial. Again, clients are very familiar with stakeholder engagement as a practice, but reframing stakeholders to be rights holders versus duty bearers from the corporate lens becomes part of how you adapt that BHR methodology into your existing corporate practices. Finally, I think a key take home, at least for our jurisdictions or predominantly for our jurisdictions, is corruption and malfeasance in business. Um, it's widespread on the African continent in both private and public sectors, and it leads to the extensive violation of human rights. And so challenging corruption and promoting ethical governance is very much seen as key to protecting the rights of the public, although exposing corrupt structures remains a challenge. And so it, it very much is, again, another item that should be squarely on, on the board agenda of, of, of corporate practice to look into from the perspective of business and human rights. And so I think to, to wrap up all of these key themes and take homes, Poja, I think in practice, human rights due diligence remains an essential and a key tool to assess human rights impacts and to integrate an ongoing management process for corporates um, to integrate into business operations and integrate into their broader value chains. And I think what is key for corporates to understand in this space is that there is no one size fits all approach to human rights due diligence. Um, there are businesses which conduct human rights due diligence in multiple ways based on, again, the context in which they operate, the sectors in which they operate, the size and scope of their value chains. And so it remains a journey, an ongoing process, and one which we are very excited to assist clients um, walk the path on. Yeah, absolutely, Paula. And just listening to you 
recall all of the key takeaways from that that rich debate, it really does remind me how um, jam-packed that session was. And for our listeners who wish to to revisit that uh, that conversation, uh, you know, that we had in October last year, there is a link to the recording on our uh, web away and socials. Please have a look. There is a lot of insightful uh, discussion that came out of that session. You know, looking back at 2023, it was really a year that was filled with um, a lot of growth and development in the business and human rights space. And it, you know, it goes without saying that there's a lot to look forward to going into 2024. And you know, Paula, I think I speak for the both of us when I say that you know we're we're delighted to be involved in this ever growing, ever evolving area of the law, and and hopefully you know being at the forefront of important developments in the global south. For our listeners. You know, please look out for our thought leadership pieces, uh, which will come over the course of the next couple of months um, and throughout the year. We'll be touching on exciting topics like whether the UNGP should be legislated and domesticated or whether they better serve the purpose as guiding principles. We'll also be consistently looking at trends analyses across Africa, um, including negotiations on the proposed International Treaty on Business and Human Rights. We will also be discussing forthcoming legislation, regulating mandatory human rights due diligence and what that means for African operations. Another topic of discussion we plan to unpack is new age human rights impacts, such as virtual rape, disinformation, and the intersection between business and human rights and technology. Um, and there's a lot more on Weber Wenzel's business and human rights agenda. Please reach out to us if you're interested in the space. We'd be delighted to talk to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast series, and uh, we look forward to the next one. You have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit WeberWenzel.com.